Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. Mmm, pie. Okay, I think I was a little early. That's okay. Ah, I can fix it in post. Uh, that's what I'm afraid of. Oh, God. Um, um. Welcome, everybody, to episode... Oh, gosh, what episode number is this? 125. Yes. Y- yeah, that's One- right. Yep. 125. 125. 125th. Another arbitrary number, but we will not be celebrating this one because it's not arbitrary enough. Uh, ah. Of Pie Factory Podcast, once again, from Morris, Illinois, and the Hinterlands. Uh, this is, uh, you know me, you love me. I'm going to go by Jim today. Oh, okay. I, I I had a birthday back in September, so. Oh, well, I figured, belated. You know, Happy yep. birthday well, thank you. Yeah, to I mean, you. Once you, you pass from 52 to 53, you kind of, you know, become a man at that point. Yeah, I so. still got a ways to go before I even touch 50, so, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, you're still in puberty, I guess. Yep, so, yep. So, I'm a man now. I'm, so, a, I'm um, about as mature as somebody who has not yet hit yeah, puberty, well, at least, so. I don't think that ever goes away. Yeah, good, good. Oh, uh, anyway, from uh, Chicago, uh, arguably Illinois, arguably not, uh, this is Sean. And with that, um, I am just, like, scrounging for segues today. So, how are you, Sean? I'm okay, and uh, I I know I'm slightly healthier than I was uh, sure that I was earlier, because I, oh? I had my first colonoscopy recently, yeah. Oh. All I'm going to say is... What, however bad people tell you it is, it is not. It is not. It's fine. Just do it. Keep yourself healthy. The procedure itself is fine, and actually, I kind of liked it a little bit. Well, <sighs> here's the thing. I don't remember the procedure at all. I just remember being wheeled into the room. They said, okay, can you turn on your side for me? I was like, sure. And then they put the thing in with the sedative, and I and I felt really weird right away. And I said, um, is this stuff supposed to take effect right away? And everybody in the room said, yep. And the uh-huh. next thing I know, I wake I wake up in the recovery room, and I was like, "Oh yep. my god, this is wonderful! I got to sleep." Yeah. And then the I nurse probably... comes in, and the nurse comes in and says, "Okay, you can get dressed now." I said, "No, let me sleep." No, Before, you got to get yeah. dressed. Yeah. the The prep is the worst part of the colonoscopy. Even that wasn't too bad. It was the lack of well, sleep. That's the lack of sleep from sitting on the shitter all night. Well, Ooh, the, that's the part of it pot. too. The pooty pot. Well, the Patreon people get to hear you say shitter, so. Oh, and they if they so choose, they don't have to. Well, that's true. So, um, yeah, that that's the worst part of it. And yeah. it's, you can kind of deal with it. Just, uh, <laughs> I don't remember if it was the last time, but I think it was the time before when I had the colonoscopy done. Yeah, they, they didn't put me to sleep. Uh, they twilighted me. Hmm. Well, thing is, like, apparently I was awake during the procedure because at, when I uh-huh. read the prep instructions, they said, you are, we need you to be able to communicate with us. So you'll be awake during the mm-hmm. procedure, but you might not remember it. I do not remember. In fact, the nurse even said to me, you and the doctor were talking a lot. Do you remember any of that? I said, no. And she said, well, that's pretty much what we expected. So, Sean, (laughs) you like having a camera in your butt? Oh, yeah, sure thing, doctor. (laughs) But, yeah, it was not bad at all. Seriously. Like, anybody who's afraid of doing that kind of thing, don't. Don't. Yeah, it's just, the only thing is you're going to be sitting a lot on the toilet for, like, two days. The day before and the day after. It wasn't wasn't nearly that long for me. Oh God! When I did, it was it was horrible. I because you ate too much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you laugh, but I just came back from the doctor yesterday, and 
Yeah, when we started this podcast, I was down to about 208, and uh, yeah, I'm about 280 now. Yeah, I was down to that uh, when I was in high school, I think. Yeah, so... Um, and I'm shorter than you. Slightly. By one inch. Ooh. Uh, I'm 6'2", man. Oh, two inches. Ooh. Yeah. So, I gotta start watching my blood pressure and all of that, and but that's that, that's just all happy time fun stuff, so... But I'm excited. Why are you excited? Because, well, I found a new underwriter for this episode, and uh, we'll, oh, we'll talk about that later. Oh, uh, nice. We're going to have a Sean's Drinking Arena. Okay. Which I was only half expecting to happen. And um, I actually played some games that were not the ones that we're talking about for this episode. <gasps> no. Well, well, a game at least. Uh-huh. Uh, because over on uh, the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast Discord server, they were playing... Uh, well, still are playing game nine of the Atari 2600 Berserk for their little high score thingy. So I played that for a while. Oh, my mm-hmm. goodness. That is rough. Is it? It's high difficulty, uh, one bullet at a time, no extra lives, and Evil Auto comes out. It's like, good luck with that. I'm assuming you can't destroy Evil Auto. No, no. Okay, because there are some variations in that where you can. Yeah. I. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes without Evil Auto, that game can be actually maybe a little too easy. Hmm, yeah. Sometimes. But really, that's the only game I played, really, uh-huh. outside of what we're going to be talking about today. Except, well, except for my constant battle to re-get my personal best on Mr. Do, but mm-hmm. yeah, still unsuccessful, but hey, you know. Well, hey, what you going to do? What am I going to do? Well, I, I'm going to go to uh, Underground Retrocade the day before Thanksgiving. Uh, American, th- U.S. Thanksgiving, I should say. Yes. So hopefully I'll be able to get something done for up there, nice and smooth. And uh, I'm talking to you from a uh, slightly enhanced studio setup here in uh, oh? in uh, Pie Factory Headquarters North. I, uh, uh, which Pie Factory Headquarters branch are you in tonight? I'm at the help desk. The help, okay. All right. The so help you're desk, at yeah. the headquarters we help sprawling, desk. Yeah, we, we got a sprawling help desk uh, campus down in Mazan. Now. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, I yeah, there's na- I have like a little desktop set up in the middle of the room here with wires going all over the place, routing mm-hmm. under everything, and I'm working on that. And uh, it's so far, it's not bad. It's not bad. I'm kind of liking it. Nice. But oh, and uh, yeah. So uh, how's by you, uh, Jimmy J- well, uh, Jim? Sorry. I, I well, I am actually in a uh, kind of a new studio area, also. I actually just cleaned the area around the computer, and you can actually see the floor now. And I actually even oh, wow. vacuumed it for a little bit, wow. a little bit for the first time in about maybe four years. So uh, yeah, I just got to finish the rest of the room, and uh, yeah, not too looking forward to that. But uh, in the meantime, uh, as far as gaming goes, I did purchase a. Um, oh well, no, oh. how am I? I for- totally forgot that uh, I actually got to see uh, Genesis uh, oh, in concert. That's right. The, it was the second show of their North American leg of their current tour, and uh, I was wondering if they were going to uh, make it or not, because a couple, uh, from what I understand, a couple of the band members uh, contracted COVID, and Ooh. they had to uh, cancel the last four of their uh, UK tour, and some people are not happy about the fact that one of the tour, one of the stops, I think uh, Glasgow, they, uh, I think they totally canceled that one, and they're wow. not going to go there. Uh, could just be a scheduling thing. I mean, you know, when you have to postpone something and all that. Well, yeah, but, absolutely. Um, oh, I have a fun fact for you, by the way. Oh? They only call themselves Genesis here in the States. Oh? Over in Europe, they call themselves Mega Drive. Really? Yeah. 
Oh, wow. Did not know that. But um, as people might be aware, Phil Collins has been in pretty bad health for like the last 10, 15 years. And uh, so he, he can't really uh, stand up and pace the stage anymore. So we had to do the whole show sitting down. He, you can tell that, you know, he can't hit like the high notes anymore. He Ooh. can't do some of the stuff. But uh, the way they structured the concert, it uh, worked around his strengths. It worked with his strengths. It enhanced his strengths and uh, worked with his weaknesses. And uh, it, it turned out really good. Like it's, they lowered the key of a few songs because, uh, again, he can't hit some of those notes anymore. Some cases they had background singers kind of fill in for some of the extended notes. And uh, sometimes they just turned the song, uh, parts of the song that he used to be able to belt out into audience participation. It was a great show. Hmm. I will say this. Uh, Phil really can't hold a drumstick anymore. Really? What oh, I understand. Man. Uh, so his son, Nick Collins, is filling in on the drums. And um, what I will say about that is uh, he's only 20 years old, but he has a, got a huge bright future ahead of him. He is really, really good. And... Uh, He's going to be big before too long. So just uh, keep an eye on him. Seriously, he was really amazing. I'm, I haven't checked out any stuff he's done on YouTube yet, but uh, but yeah, check him out. He's really good. And, Where was uh, this? Was it uh, the United Untied Center. Center? Okay. United Center. And uh, only real disappointment with the show was that they um, they didn't do the song Abacab for some reason. And that was like one of their biggest hits. And mm. I, I don't know why they didn't do that one. It was one of my favorite songs by them, but... But uh, the show was two and a half hours long. They could have easily done another hour and a half had they wanted to. Because they got... Genesis has such a deep and varied catalog. And um, it was a good time. The seats were $250 a Yay. pop. Yay! Wow. Yeah, you, you, yeah, we were way up in the third the third balcony, all the way near the very back of the United Center. The, almost the furthest away you can get from the stage. Someone with the, with the band came up uh, with some tickets and my daughter and her boyfriend and his dad uh, got moved up to like right near the stage man not us because we were sitting a section over that happened and um i found out that uh, elton john is going to be coming to the united yep. center in february yep my wife's and going where we sat where we sat at the very back the furthest away almost the furthest away from the stage you can get guess how much tickets are uh 325 bucks too low 500 bucks. Holy shark. Yeah, I know. And imagine what it would be like front row. Man, I, I have no idea how much my wife paid for her ticket. but And I would love to see Elton John. I imagine he puts on a good show. But, yeah, I uh, saw him do. I saw him at the TNT tribute to Brian Wilson 20 years ago. And mm-hmm. that was enough for me because I'm not a huge Elton John fan. I have huge respect for him. Mm-hmm. When my wife said she was going to go see him and she asked if I would go with her, I said, well, I, I'm not a big fan and I, this is supposedly his final tour Mm -hmm. and I don't want to possibly take an opportunity away from someone who really wants to see him. Mm -hmm. So I said, yeah, just you, if you want to go without me, that's fine. You know, see if you want to go with a friend or enemy or something. So yeah. And, uh, FYI, this is Genesis's very last tour. Uh, I guess a couple of the band members were, were like, kind of hinting around it, but Phil Collins was like, no, this is it. Hmm. How the tour got uh, came about was a couple of years ago in uh, 16, 17. That's more than a couple of years ago, dude. That's like before Shakespeare. <laughs> uh, he was uh, doing a solo tour. His son was backing him up on drums then. God, he would have been, 
He would have been like 15, 16. Holy shnikes. Mm-hmm. And uh, at any rate, uh, for a couple of the dates, Mike and the Mechanics opened for him. And uh, Mike and the Mechanics is the uh, band of one Mike Rutherford, who's the one of the three uh, founders of uh, Genesis. And uh, they got talking, and then they're like, yeah, well, let's uh, call up Tony Banks, the keyboardist, and let's do a, a farewell tour. Hmm. And uh, there we are. So. It was a great show. So I guess Phil doesn't want to do any solo stuff uh, live after this, then. Probably not. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I don't think he could do it. He's not really looking good. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, he's still got all of the, uh, I don't know, spunk. I guess you know he's still got like the attitude, the uh, whatever. He just doesn't have the energy in him anymore sure. really for it for a lot of it. So I don't think you're going to see. Uh, I think he's going to just. After this is over, he's just going to retire, and that's going to be it, which I know a lot of people hate Phil Collins. I've always liked him. I'm going to make you a mixtape. You like Phil Collins? I've got two ears and a heart, don't I? And uh, I'm just regretting having not seen uh, Genesis back in 1986 when I really first started becoming a huge fan of him. So, but it was a, it was a great show. It's probably the best show I've ever seen. I keep going back and forth between this one and the Steely Dan show. And the only thing that really pushes maybe the Steely Dan show a little bit more is the freaking amazing drum solo at the end of the song Asia, which man, that, that song has a great jump, a drum solo in the studio version, but on stage, holy crap. So now all I got left on my, uh, Jim's favorite band's bingo card are King's X, which hopefully they're coming back, and uh, Devo. Devo was at uh, Riot Fest back in August, and I've watched the concert. Uh, somebody recorded it, and I've watched it on YouTube. And they're really good, too, even at their advanced stage. They don't have the look anymore, obviously, because they're, well, pushing, if not 70. Yeah, sure. Pushing 70, if not 70. But uh, they still got the attitude, and they can still belt out the songs, and... They could still uh, rock a crowd, and I thought the greatest thing uh, in the uh, in the video I watched was uh, after the first song they played, somebody in the crowd right near the guy recording it was like, yelled out, uh, "Effing legends!" So that was <laughs> awesome. I like I, I've really I've always liked Devo, but I've only really started getting into them this year. See, the only thing on my bingo card—I don't even know if I have a bingo card, really. I just really hope I get to see Stevie Wonder again. I imagine that's probably a good show. Because I saw, we saw him twice during the Songs in the Key of Life tour, and it was just so, uh-huh. um, such emotionally mind-blowing. Yeah, like I said, I imagine that's a great show. That There's no way it couldn't be. And there's a band I'd love to see sometime, and I told my wife next time I'm in Jersey, mm-hmm. I want to see if they're playing. It's a local band in, I think, Asbury Park called We Used to Cut the Grass. Oh, no. They're, they're a small jazz cut, or at least it yeah. sounded like jazz. And I remember watching them on the boardwalk once, and the bass player was just all oh, over no. that fretboard. Yeah. And after I watched them for a while, they started doing the Santo and Johnny classic Sleepwalk with the yeah. melody played on a saw. Really? Yeah. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, it was really cool. It's like, man, I got to see these guys. Too bad I already moved out of New Jersey. I can't think of any real local bands I'd like to see. Except for one, I can't remember the name of it, but my brother's friend, who whose name also happens to be Jeff, is actually in a couple of bands. One's a cover band, one's a Christian band, and uh, they got a, a, a band that does uh, original non-Christian stuff, too. And I can't remember. The guy's a huge Kiss fan. He has actually okay. he has yeah. tons of Kiss memorabilia, as well as a Kiss 
one of the original Kiss pinball machines in his oh, basement. Oh wow! Yeah, we're, we're talking we're talking like from uh, the late seventies, yeah. like 80s Kiss pinball machine. Because I guess there's a newer one out. But, yeah, uh, there. Yeah, I think Stern just put a new one out. Yeah. And this is a perfect transition opportunity, by the way. So oh. thank you for bringing up Jeff's friend Jeff. Oh, because you know where I saw a lot of pinball happening. Where did you see a lot of pinball happening? Downtown Milwaukee earlier oh. this month at uh, Midwest now, Gaming Classic. I was there to attend Midwest Gaming Classic because I, I, I didn't gone. use my ticket from last year because they ended up canceling it. I don't know if you heard, but apparently there's a virus going around. Really? And back then there wasn't any vaccine or, well, or, I have or a bit or, of a tummy ache, maybe or treatment or anything. So they said, yeah, you know, we're gonna cancel it this year. Hold on to your tickets; you can use them later. So I used mine later. Mm-hmm. It seemed a lot less attended this year, both by patrons and vendors, which is understandable because I think the date came up. Came up. Oh, came up. By the way, uh, before you continue with that thought. They were checking vaccination ID at uh, the Genesis show. Yeah. And uh, everybody had to wear a mask to get in. Once people were in the stadium, of course, half the people took them off. I took mine off half the time because I was just having a little hard time breathing. But <laughs> uh, I did purchase a, a Genesis, uh, the last domino uh, face mask. But I wore it that night, tossed it in my pocket the next day to take it to work to wear. Well, I don't wear a mask at work. I only do if I like go get gas or something. And now I can't find the damn thing. So, I don't know. So, $15 down the drain. But at least I got my Genesis program and my Genesis t Well, go to the drain and so get it out. You have no idea. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, that, anyway, continue. Any, any, any rate. Uh, uh, wait, no, that's what you're supposed to say. Uh, uh, but, yeah, it was very... There were a lot fewer vendors and a lot fewer attendees, but I did notice there was a lot more variety, though. Sadly, I didn't see a single Amiga anywhere, including in the guys' games and beer room. They usually have uh-huh. a couple, but they didn't this year. Well, to be fair, it's more of a, it's not as computer oriented as, say, like the Vintage Computer Fest Midwest is. Where I also did not see any Amiga stuff. You sure? I could yeah. I saw one. Well, At least I saw a couple for sale. Well, mind you, I only walked around that thing for a few minutes. I, I did a couple of quick walk-arounds uh-huh. and then went home. But oh. at Midwest Gaming Classic, though, I mean, I saw a crap ton of Vectrex stuff. I never saw really? so much Vectrex stuff in one place before. Uh, Sean Kelly from uh, Video Games Then and Now in uh, uh-huh. Harwood Heights, Illinois, those of you who travel to the Chicago area or are in the Chicago area, if you've not gone to his store yet, you have to. I've popped it a couple of times. Yeah, great variety and very reasonable prices. Actually, uh, I haven't been in been there since he moved. I was in there once, um, and the reason I haven't gone there since is because I don't really buy cartridges anymore unless they're brand new homebrews. I use a, I, I just use a, the multi carts. Mm-hmm. But oh yeah, which I didn't tell you what I was playing. Oh. I got a uh, an EverDrive for my uh, Sega Genesis, and so I've been playing a lot of different games on that lately. Oh, and, I have uh, a fun fact for you, by the way. I, I think I did briefly mention it, but I didn't uh, say anything about it. At any rate. But the fun fact I have for you is that here in the United States, that's where it's called the Sega Genesis. Over in Europe, it's called the Sega Mega Drive. Ah, okay. That's a fun, if not repeatable, fact. Oh, well, somebody should repeat it then, so... Well, some, I think somebody just did. Uh, so, there's a, a, a game on it I've been playing. I haven't played it in a couple of days called uh, Crusader of Senti. And it's a, like a Legend of Zelda clone thing, and that game is really, really fun. 
The only thing is, I think I talked about previously that uh, LCD TV I got with all the inputs, so I don't need <laughs> don't need any sort of converter or anything anymore because it's got everything I could need. Uh, I think the because it's a it's not a CRT that the the graphics don't look as good as they could because you know CRT days they you kind of use like the imperfection of the of the screen like the the non sharpness of the screen like to the to the console's advantage, and so stuff looks like way too sharp on this thing hmm. but uh, i haven't re actually done any digging into the settings on the screen yet I mean, there might be something there but uh but at any rate so that's what i've been playing so you, uh. can, you may you may resume your okay last time i was uh talking about last midwest time. gaming classic we were talking to sean kelly uh he had a lot of vectrex stuff out he was uh he offered a lot of reproduction vectrex overlays and i was kicking myself because i didn't remember which overlays I had, and I don't have a master list, and man, I could have used some more overlays. But these are not the same ones that Stephen Cray does. Uh, Stephen Cray's overlays, by the way, those those are nice overlays to have. The thing mm -hmm. about Stephen Cray's overlays is they're thin, and they're a little bit tough to fit in the uh, overlay slots. Sean Kelly's, the only way that you know their reproductions is that Sean tells you their reproductions. <laughs> if you didn't know, if he didn't tell you, you'd never know. Uh, they, there might be some kind of watermark or something that says reproductions, but I'm not 100% sure. Uh, he had his multi-carts up there. I guess there was an unreleased game for the Vectrex that used uh, a, this uh, light pen peripheral, and he was able to make those for sale. And he has some homemade light pens as well, so I might have to see if I can order those from him or see if they have if he has them in his store. Mm -hmm. So he was there. Um, I stopped in and checked out Tim Lapatino's Pac-Man talk. He is uh, he is a really good presenter. If uh, Tim Lapatino is presenting anywhere where, uh, where you're going to happen to be, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you got to check him out. He's really good. Um, I didn't buy his book simply because I pre-ordered it a long time ago. Problem is, it's being held up right now, I think, in California because of that whole cargo backup. But uh -huh. And right after that same room, Marty Goldberg delivered a presentation that was billed as, I think it was called uh, Computer Space 40 Years Later or something. Yeah. The thing I remember most is during the Q&A part, someone said, why are you calling it 40 years later? Isn't computer space 50 years old? And Marty said, yeah, that's a typo in the program. Hmm. So, yeah, I was supposed to say there was some really interesting stuff. There, I know people were videoing it, uh, so definitely check it out on YouTube if it's up there. Uh, we will link it in the show notes if available. One thing I noticed in our friend and uh, Patreon sponsor Keith pointed out, Oh, cartridge prices were through the roof. I saw a picture on the Atari. I don't know if it was from uh, Midwest Gaming Classic, but I saw somebody hit with a picture of uh, Atari games at a at a at a show. I don't know what show it was. And uh, here we go. I just pulled it up. And um, okay, tell me if this is uh, anything like what you were seeing here. Um, this picture has a Donkey Kong for either $20 or... Wait, is it $20? Is that, yeah, $20 or $40. Ms. Pac-Man for $25. Holy cow. Pole position for $10. Is this the bear cart or does it include a manual and box or anything? The Just the cart. Holy... For, for Atari 2600. Video pinball for $10. Centipede for $25. Uh, what is this? Asteroids. Can't hardly see it. Asteroids, $15. Pitfall, 5 Let's see, is there a Mario? Oh, yeah. Guess what Mario Brothers is. 
38. 50. What? Just the cartridge. Are they out of their freaking minds? And uh, and somebody commented, LOL, Pitfall is underpriced and the rest are overpriced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I didn't get a, a good look at all the... And there were all... People had complained before about not a lot of classic representation in Midwest Gaming Classic. There absolutely was this year. There was a lot. Uh-huh. But... I remember just kind of randomly going through a box of cartridges. And again, I don't buy cartridges anymore. And well, one thing I wanted to do is see if they were still gouging people for adventure simply because it was a focal point in Ready Player One, despite the fact that you can't shake a dead cat without hitting an adventure. Mm -hmm. But I saw, what was it? The box that I was looking through, just the cart, just the bear cart. Well, not bear, but the cart without a manual and box. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Pitfall, they wanted $14. Overpriced? <laughs> Just for the cart? Hell yeah. Yeah. Adventure, they wanted 12 I don't know if it was ga- necessarily gouging because it's cheaper it's than the Pitfall. But yeah, it's still way overpriced. What the hell is $5, wrong with these people? not a penny more. And I really hope that people who are putting these prices on these carts went home with them. I yep. really hope they did. And oh, speaking of which, I, one of these cartridge vendors, there was a box of records there. And mm-hmm. I bought a copy of Stephen Stills' Manassas album. Actually, his first Manassas. There were two Manassas albums. It was the first one. It was a double record. Okay. And uh, the reason that I did was because years ago, when I still worked at the public library before I graduated college, there were a, a lot of deleted things from the collection downstairs, and we were welcome to grab anything we wanted. So I, I found a copy of Stephen Stills' Manassas down there, and I really liked that album, so I grabbed it. Basically, mm-hmm. I bought this thing for 10 bucks at Midwest Gaming Classic to replace my library copy. And uh, this is the thing. I spent a grand total of $30 buying things at Midwest Gaming Classic, not counting food. And $10 of that $30 was on an album. Because <laughs> so, <laughs> the other $20, um, I saw Paul Niemeyer. Is it Niemeyer or Niemeyer? It's, I think it's N-E-I, which would be Nye, as you, uh, you who are German would know. But I brought my Pac-Man Plus marquee that I bought off eBay a few years ago for like 10 bucks because I wanted him to autograph it. The Saturday of Midwest Gaming Classic, I was carrying that thing around with me all day long because he was never at his post. But mm-hmm. the next day, Sunday, I saw him. He was at his post right at the top of the elevator. I had him sign it for him. I showed it to him and he said, oh my God, I haven't seen one of those in years. And he got all excited. <laughs> And he was telling me about how he designed it and how they told him, yeah, we don't have a font for this. So just design a font as close as possible to the original Pac-Man. And for the rest of the design, go crazy, but not too crazy. He was so happy to see that. And he asked if he could <laughs> pose for a picture with me. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And just because of how how excited he was and how friendly he was, I bought <laughs> a... Uh, small replica super pac-man marquee from him for twenty dollars and it's autographed and i gotta hang that sucker up too but i'll hold it up to the microphone for all to see here it is there we go so yeah that was uh my midwest gaming classic and yeah yeah indeed Mm -hmm. so i am so glad that you had a good time i just like have no segues tonight well then here i'll segue something for you uh since why don't you do that yeah let's just get uh Sean's drinking arena out of the way because I really oh, want to get this are. out of the way. Here's the thing. Here in Chicago. Oh, by the way, also shout out to Steve Rasmussen who said hi to me on the 
when I was uh, in the uh, gaming area at Midwest Gaming Classic. Poor guy listens to all my podcasts, <laughs> but um, met him and his uh, wife, and it was uh, really, really cool to chat with them for a few. And also, we, I saw another one of our Patreon sponsors, uh, Nate Lockhart, as usual. He had an uh, interesting little chat there. As usual. Nate, seriously, guys, if you're not listening to... Uh, I suddenly for memory machine. You got it. You got to check it out. He's you forgot the name of memory machine. Yeah. Irony. Yeah. He's I know um, as of this recording, his latest episode is still the history of baseball. I guess he's a, a, a victim of real life as most of us are. Mm. So, <laughs> so no new episodes since, but really check him out. He's a really nice guy and a really excellent presenter as well. Uh, very knowledgeable, very fascinating to listen to. But I do want to talk about Sean's drinking arena, but where I was going before, uh, those of you who are not in the Chicago area, here in Chicago on WGN, uh, which you can watch on the web, by the way, they have a morning news show every day, the highest rated morning news in the city. And uh, Robin Baumgarten, who's one of the anchors, every week she has a cooking segment in which she prepares one of the, you know, those really nasty, like, retro recipes between the 50s and the 70s that they put in like housewife magazines oh god like the uh the jello with mayonnaise topping sort of thing exactly yeah she makes those things oh no and she has the weather guy eat them oh no and every single time this isn't bad but this week when they did their cooking segment it was a cranberry candle or something oh no (laughs) and usually Paul, the weather guy, washes it down with a uh, PBR tall boy or something. But this time Uh he had a Jones turkey soda. Oh, no. So I went to my usual go-to place for goofy drinks, which is uh, Lickety Split. It's a frozen custard place uh, just uh, about a half a mile away from me. Mm -hmm. They had a lot of Jones drinks, but not the turkey soda. But I did see something in the Lester's Fixins line from uh, Rocket Fizz that I did not know existed. It is black olive soda. Oh, okay. Here is the thing, my friends and co-host Jim. I hate olives. I hate Mm -hmm. them. I cannot stand them. I love olives. Oh, you do? Okay. I'm okay with olive oil. Now, there's another Lester's Fixins drink that I did not get, which is uh, coffee soda, because I do not like coffee. I hate coffee. And everything I've ever tasted that says it's coffee flavored was indeed coffee flavored. It tasted like coffee. So why would I drink something that I know I'm going to hate? This stuff, you never know. This is uh, Lester's Fixin's Black Olive Soda. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna pop the... Uh, uh, I already popped the lid off and I put it back on. Now it's not coming back. So it smells like... Hmm. It smells like some kind of equipment. I'm going to taste it now. Hmm. Now, here's the thing. In mm-hmm. addition to this black olive soda, I've poured myself a glass of lemonade because okay. I was absolutely sure I would need to wash it down with something kind of tart. I'm going to tell you, mm-hmm. I hate olives. This stuff is not bad. Really? I guess because it doesn't really taste like olive at all. Huh. I'll have to give it a shot. But it does taste like equipment of some kind. What kind of equipment? I'm not sure. Equipment. Hmm. Okay. Like equipment that's manufactured at a factory and shipped to, a, uh, say, what Sears used to be. Mm-hmm. Or, or something like that. But not bad. Not bad at all. I'm still going to have my lemonade, though, because I love lemonade. Oh, you can't ever go wrong with lemonade. Yeah. But, yeah, there we go. Anyway. 
You still need another segue? Yeah, I'm segwayed out. Okay, well, um, well, this isn't exactly a segue. I'm just going to go straight into it. We also got uh, a little bit of feedback that we might want to... uh, Oh, we do? Oh, yes. Yes, we do. Oh. Um, Hi, uh, put the thing in here, please. Say. That's what she said. F-E-E-D-B-A-C. Feedback. 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 So yeah, we got uh, an email from our friend and longtime uh, Patreon supporter, Airshack, who says, and I quote, Greetings, my frozen friends. Great job on another podcast, episode 124, Pie Factory. Well, thank you, Shack. Thank you, Airshack. And he says, just a few questions. Now, he, he gave us several questions. Okay. Question number one, I don't know if, the, if something we said in the previous episode prompted this question, but he says, Will oat milk and or almond milk clear the palate properly during taste tests? Oh, oh, he must have been talking because we were talking about hot sauce. That okay, might have been yeah. why. Okay. okay. Uh, does one have a lactose-free option other than water? That is a great question. I really don't know. I'm going to guess. Some people eat bread. Some people eat Pop-Tarts. Hmm. I'm going to guess that there's something about actual mammal milk. That you could try non-dairy coffee creamer, I guess. You could. I can tell you this much. Uh, almond milk and oat milk are interchangeable with regular milk in many, if not all, cooking recipes. Because my no, wife I uses that a lot. I actually do like almond milk. Yeah. Almond it milk can is be pretty, pretty tasty. Yeah. And, I, and uh, we, m- both my wife and I use uh, coconut milk, actually, to make oatmeal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I like co- coconut and, uh, milk. It's a, it's a nice touch. And uh, I, I used to hate coconut, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I've acquired a taste to it. Uh, uh, Air Shack says, how much for the Collector Vision Phoenix? And that's a wonderful question because I'm really reconsidering my thinking of selling it uh-huh. because I keep thinking, man, I really need to spend time with it. So, yeah, I'm, I don't think I'm going to sell it, at least not at this point yet. Number three, I'm in the same boat as Jimmy, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, your Jim today, uh, with regard to too many systems lurking about my home. Where's the best place to donate our underutilized gear? That's a good question. One thing I was thinking about doing is donating my stuff when I pass on to uh, Chicago's Museum of Science and Industry. But I don't know if that would, if they would just keep it in storage and never do anything with it. Right. Um, So there's that as a potential issue. You could always ask ahead of time. That's true. You say, hey, excuse me, I plan to die someday, and um, what do you do with this stuff if I uh, bequeath it to you? I know, I, I don't remember where it is, but there's a library in Chicago. It's a private library, but they have like an ex- huge, extensive map collection. And I've been, to- I've been toying around with donating a lot of my maps to them hmm. as well. Wouldn't be the Newberry Library, would it be? Yes, it's the Newberry. Oh, it is? Okay. Yes. I gotta the go there someday. It's not that private. I mean, anybody can go there. Well, I mean, it's not a pu- it's private in the sense that it's not publicly funded. And I think you need to make an appointment too. So, wow, that's a really good question. You can always bequeath it to younger relatives, see if maybe you can get them to bug. But then there's a chance that they won't like it, and then they'll want to get rid of it or give it back to you. And also, Airshack, I have a feeling that anybody listening to us might be like, "What do you got? You can give it to me." <laughs> so, that's actually a good question. That might and be something. I, that is a, let's solicit. That's a some, wonderful uh, question. Yeah, let's solicit some ideas and suggestions for that. That's a good question. 
yeah, uh, Pie Factory at fab4it.com. Email us if you know, or tweet us at uh, Pie Factory PFP, or reach out to us on Facebook. And you can see if maybe a local children's museum or that uh, would would like them. I, I mean, a lot of smaller communities have children's museums. There's one in Kankakee. There's one in Aurora. Uh, they have museums I, I in Kankakee and Aurora. Yes, they do. Actually. Well, Aurora, I'd be more likely to believe that one. Yeah, but. there's a. They have a really good children's museum in Kankakee. It, it's it's really nice. They got a huge sprawling park behind it, where uh, if you go hiking down the trails behind it, you get down to the Kankakee River, and uh, if you go uh, west along the river, you get to a place called the quote unquote Indian Caves, and um, it's uh, it's a state nature preserve, and uh, they got uh, it's really beautiful back there. So. Uh, it's uh, <clears throat> Perry Farm is the name of the place. So if you're ever in the Kankakee area, Perry Farm is worth checking out, especially if, you, if you're either a nature lover or you have little ones. It's worth checking out. Hmm. Another thought came to mind. If you have one of our beloved retro arcades in your area, check with them. A lot of these places ha- like, do offer... like. For example, um, longtime Patreon sponsor, in fact, our first ever Patreon sponsor, Underground Retrocade. Oh, God, yes. They have uh, home video game systems uh, available for use upon request. Uh, Galloping Ghost used to, yeah, but a long so time ago anymore. they discontinued that, uh, mainly because uh, probably because they don't just freaking have the room anymore. <laughs> uh, I, th- I don't know if it's still around. I never got to go, but in Aurora... There, I think it was Aurora. There opened basically a, a console gaming arcade. Oh, they, was that eight one six? Yes, yes, that's right. I thought they were supposed to open in Shorewood. Oh, maybe you. You know what? You're probably right. But yeah, check around. See if there are any arcades in your area that might be interested. I'm curious about eight one six arcade. And let's see. Uh, Air Shack has a couple of more questions here. Uh, this one I will have to a hundred percent seed to you, uh, Jim. Uh, question hmm. number four. Uh, you had said in the previous episode that we were talking about James Bond films, and there were some films that were basically rehashes of er- remakes yeah. of earlier ones. Uh, mm-hmm. Air Shack says, "Isn't every James Bond film just a remake of the first Bond film?" Not really. Some of them are plots to take take over the world. Some of them are more local regionalized plots like on her majesty, not her man, that, that one, uh, for your eyes only was about a, uh, decoder box that the Russians, uh, wanted that was being, uh, t- that specter was, uh, had their eyes on to sell to the highest bidder. But, uh, no, they're I, no, not at all. But some of them are blatant ripoffs. Again, a view to a kill is a blatant re remake of, uh, Goldfinger. Um, Moonraker is a blatant remake of <laughs> the previous uh, Bond film, which was The Spy Who Loved Me. And um, this newest one, No Time to Die, uh, in my opinion, is uh, pretty much a uh, a remake of uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Hmm. And since the movie's been out for a while, I'm assuming the people that have wanted to see it saw it. So uh, the only difference is that um, the plot in On Her Majesty's Secret Service revolved around... Uh, dispersing like a virus or something and uh in uh no time to die revolved around lease releasing nanobots would you recommend no time to die to somebody who's not really that familiar with the bond franchise probably not you, you kind of need to see the previous two gotcha. bond films uh, of the daniel craig era okay uh, i would start with uh, skyfall and then specter because hmm. They all tie together, but when they were doing the Daniel Craig ones, they didn't have an overarching kind of story arc for all, was it four or five of the films? Sure. 
And in fact, one of them, they were writing while they were filming it, and that would be Quantum of Solace. So they kind of shoehorned a continuing plot thread through them. Okay. It didn't really uh, take hold until Spectre. You really need to see Spectre, which is, in my opinion, the, the weakest of the Daniel Craig films. And you should probably see Skyfall, which is, in my opinion, the best of the Daniel Craig films. In fact, okay. Skyfall, I think, is my second favorite Bond film. Ooh, okay. Yeah, right behind Goldfinger. Okay, um, there's an, uh, another one that maybe you're probably the better person to answer this. Are uh, you ready for another question? Sure. Okay, uh, Airshack asks, will you be promised to, I think he means, will you promise to never again bring up Jimmy's sex life? Jim's sex life. Do we do that? I don't know. I guess maybe I jokingly bring it up. Doesn't it have to exist in the first place? Yeah, it, it would pretty much would have to. Okay. Um, I, I promise I'll try to not do that again. Okay, the next question is a two-parter. The first part, after the Billy Mitchell debacle, can anyone consider scores from Twin Galaxies as valid? I thought about this over the past couple of days, and uh-huh. um, I use Twin Galaxies simply as... Because <sighs> no, like I've had a few records up on Twin Galaxies. I'm pretty sure all of them have since been overtaken, and I'm not really champing at the bit to retake any, to reclaim any of them. If I do, fine, but, you know, I'm not going to be going out of my way to record my games or anything. It's It depends on what you mean by valid. Um, I want to argue that, if anything, Twin Galaxies is more valid than it was when it first started. I, I think you could argue that. Ever since the change of ownership, they seem to have been, seem to be more um, vigilant, I guess. Yeah. And uh, they they have been going back and redoing it. I would say with Twin Galaxies, I would trust scores more that have been set in the last four years. Oh yeah, than than anything older than that. Yeah, and there's all kinds of debate going on. You know, should we just wipe out Twin Galaxies everything before a certain year and just start fresh or anything? Well, you could make an argument for yeah. that. Yeah, and think about this: like Twin Galaxies, a lot of the scores in Twin Galaxies are old, like going from when that scoreboard was first started and a lot of those scores were literally compiled from magazine articles and things and not actually taken from refereed performances which is why there were scores for pac-man like in the six millions of course that's impossible so that those had to be purged um if they ever were in twin galaxies i should say um so i think what they're trying to do now the current ownership which i believe is jace hall don't quote me on that i think what jace is trying to do now is make sure that if there's a score on twin galaxies that there is a recording of it more than anything they want recordings now so they can watch them they can scrutinize them and that's why there's that whole tg sap method where twin galaxies users will watch the video of the game. And if they have any doubts whatsoever, they can say, I don't know about this because here's what the settings are, but it doesn't look like those settings were used. Uh, It looks like this was actually an emulator or somebody put this in the wrong track, etc. So you have that kind of oversight there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to get to, uh, unless you have more to say, I want to get to the next part of the question. No, no. Okay. Okay. Why did they name the airport in Milwaukee after this dubious character? Now, when I first saw that part of the question, I thought that maybe Airshack, and I think that the word air in his handle is there for a very good reason, by the way. I thought that maybe he was kind of getting Billy Bishop Airport in downtown Toronto. 
and General Mitchell Airport in Milwaukee kind of confused crossed over. And have you ever been to Billy Bishop Airport, by the way? I've never even heard of it. It is a dinky ass airport. Uh, when uh, my wife and I went to Toronto, we went to Toronto twice, I think in 2011, and we took a little airline called Porter. Yeah. Which is, I think they're, I think they're a French airline or at least French Canadian. And uh, they're really tiny planes. They're propeller planes, but they were such a cool air. Well, uh, probably still are a cool airline. Uh-huh. But they, but to go to Toronto, they fly into Billy Bishop, which is a tiny airport. Billy and, Mitchell uh, International Airport. It is, it is actually in the harbor in Toronto. It uh-huh. is actually in the, on an island in the harbor. And when you get off the plane, you have to take a ferry to the mainland. Oh, neat. But the ferry only goes like four feet. <laughs> Really? Yeah, it's like there's. It's like why not just put a put a bridge here? So you board the ferry, it's like, and you're there. So, but um, I have I have a Billy Bishop Airport story that I'm not going to get into right now because we're already almost an hour in in our raw recording. Oh wow! Uh, but um, I never knew what General Mitchell's first name is, so I did a quick Wikipedia lookup. Mm-hmm. It's actually Billy Mitchell. Oh really? Yeah. It is named after somebody named Billy Mitchell, but I don't think it's the same Billy Mitchell. I would imagine probably not. And Airshack may have been pulling our legs, making a oh, making he wouldn't a funny. do that. Airshack wouldn't do he that. He was probably pretty... making a funny. And also, I think the giveaway that if it's officially called Billy Mitchell, it wouldn't be about him because Billy Mitchell actually prefers to be called Bill. Bill, that is true. Yeah, he said that the reason that. Everybody calls him Billy Mitchell because Walter Day once called him that, and it just kind of became a habit. But yeah, whatever. I mean, I don't want to get too uh, too much or any into the Billy Mitchell controversy right now. Uh, I yeah. have my own thoughts about it. Yeah, I, I have my opinions on it, too. And I it's not a topic I want to go into for multiple reasons. Yeah. Um, what else do I have here? There, there's, uh, I think, one more. Yeah, one more question. Are the continue, insert another coin options in 1980s arcade games just the first version of the dreaded in-game purchase model? I think you have a thought on that because you brought this up in episode nine, actually, I think. With Lost Tomb? With Lost Tomb. Yeah, I think the I think the uh, buy extra whips for a quarter uh, thing in Lost Tomb was the precursor to all that. Uh, I think that was the first, uh, like, I don't know downloadable content dlc in-game pay to play sort of thing yeah in-game purchase thing i could be wrong on that but i believe that is i believe that might be the earliest uh instance of something like that uh aside from maybe purchasing more time in atari football oh yeah yeah i totally forgot that game you can do that oh the retrocade i think that uh, makes sense retrocade has atari baseball now i still gotta try i know i played that that's right you were there recently yeah i was there recently uh, I need to uh, I need to check that out a little bit more. I've played it a little bit. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, you were saying earlier about how um, when he was asking about what to do with with your consoles, you're mentioning Retrocade has the uh, you know all the setup. Uh, he had a was it the I don't remember. He had a 2600 or 2600 clone setup. I don't remember. And uh, we were going through some games, and I showed him the Sinistar prototype, and he was actually pretty impressed with it. I like that, the Sinistar prototype for the 2600. It's just horrible. Diff- it's worse than the arcade game difficulty. Oh, by the way, did the uh, the purchasable whips in uh, Lost Tomb, did that predate the insert a coin to continue model? I don't know. Hmm. Um, what year did that game come out? 
I don't remember. 1982, so it might have hit around the, the same time, because I think Dig Dug came out that same year or thereabouts, and huh. uh, they had continues, and some versions of it. All right, let's see. Um, and he says, uh, best wishes from Arizona. Salute. Well, thank you. Or maybe a mean salute. Much. Thank you, uh, Irshak. Nice to hear from you. Um, so, yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's all the feedback we had, unless I'm missing something. Um, I haven't seen anything come our way. Yeah. All right, so uh, so what do we have next? Do we have uh, Addenda and Harada? Uh, I don't have any. All right, let me check the thing really quickly. The saying, that's what she said, uh, is that the same thing about talking about my sex life? Uh, it depends on the context. I guess, I guess. Oh, oh you had an Addenda and Harada. I did? Yeah, when we were talking about Detroit pizza... And um, we were wondering what, about Papa John's, and does that count because they're based out oh, of Detroit? Oh, yeah. They're based out yeah. of Kentucky, according yeah, to you. Yeah, they're based out of Louisville. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Speaking of which, I actually I, I got hungry for Detroit-style pizza recently, so I did a search uh-huh. for Detroit-style pizza near me, and sure enough, just maybe a mile away from here, there is a Detroit pizza specialty place, Fat Chris's, and uh, yeah. I tried and I really uh-huh. liked it. And huh. and so, yeah, there we go. And uh, I'll definitely be patronizing them again. So, hey, Fat Chris has uh, just got some free uh, advertising from uh, the Pie Factory podcast. How free, though. Oh, ah, ah, ho, ho, ah, ho. Ah. Yeah. Highly recommend it if you like that kind of pizza, which uh, I do. I do. I ate at the Billy Goat Tavern today. Oh, do tell. At the Yorktown Shopping Center in uh, Lombard. It's the only one I think that's outside the city limits. No, oh, no, no, no. There's one in D.C. now. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it's the only one outside of the Chicago area, outside of the Chicago city limits in the Chicago area, I do believe. And, and it's uh, one of at least two locations that offer fries. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, the lowest rated one on, uh, <laughs> on uh, the reviews on Google at 2.9 really? out of four. Or out of five, I mean. Huh. So I'm going to have to do my best to uh, raise that up a little bit because their burgers are a thing of beauty. I'm not a big fan of their burgers, to be honest. No? But, nah. I like them. They're okay, but, you know. Anyway, so. uh, speaking of burgers, uh, Jim, should we uh, talk about some uh, specific video games? Well, that was a segue. So, yeah, let's do that. Okay. So uh, what did we have today? We had... Uh, we had Chasmic Chasm, sorry, Cosmic Chasm, mm-hmm. and uh, the other one was uh, Pepper 2, Electric Boogaloo. Pepper 2, the year we make contact. <laughs> Pepper 2, The Wrath of Khan. Pepper 2, the sequel. Yes, there we go. Um, yeah, let's, 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 let's go with Cosmic Chasm. Pepper 2, The Smell of Fear. Okay, I'm done now. <laughs> Pepper 2, A Taste of Blood. I, I feel weird doing this because I've been talking like almost nonstop for like six hours but hey yes but hey if you want me to continue i guess i might as well talk about cosmic chasm or as some people say cosmic chasm which was released in february of 1983 by cinematronics cinematronics Cinematronics. Uh, once again you can't just say cinematronics it has to be cinematronics ah okay and uh, they licensed it from gce oh i will talk about that in a little bitty bit Uh, it is a color vector graphics game and in fact was the last vector game released by cinematronics and it was programmed by david dent mike gomez brooke jarrett and bob skinner 
<laughs> I'm going to talk about the gameplay first, but I'm going to start with what it says in the attract mode. Attract mode has some instructions on it that kind of pages through different screens. And it says, and I quote, The Cosmic Chasm Space Station is occupied by a hostile enemy force. Or should it be hostile, just so people don't think I mean like a, a hipster hotel for hippie kind of people? I don't know. Your mission is to maneuver your ship through the station and destroy the central power core. After destroying the core, retrace your path to the point of entry and escape before the chain reaction destroys the station. If you are successful, you will be promoted to more dangerous missions. So, there you go. That's what uh, Attract Mode tells you. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. The space station that the Attract Mode tells you about, uh, it consists of several, and I'm just going to call them rooms. Uh, each of those rooms has its own little core in the middle of it that gradually expands. Uh, you do not want to touch the core, by the way, or else your ship will go kaboom. You also don't want to touch the enemy space cannons that are flying around the room trying to uh, prevent you from doing your job. Uh, you can shoot them away or dodge them, but you want to move from room to room till you get to the center core. And to move from room to room, you have to go through one of several gates that are located in that room and fly through. Now, you have to either destroy the gate by shooting it or ram right through it with your shield engaged. If you shoot away one of the gates in the room, you cannot shoot away another gate until that gate that you shot away regenerates, and you also cannot thrust with your shield on through another gate while there is a gate regenerating. It's uh, confusing to say, but easy to understand when you actually play it, though. Mm -hmm. And when you get to the center core... Well, the center core is a big swirling mass of colors, and you have to keep shooting it over and over until it's all gone. And by the way, in that room, there are also enemy cannons there as well, so you've got to be prepared to dodge those or shoot them out of the way. After you destroy the core, you've got to navigate your way back to the room where you started, uh, kind of like it says in the attract mode. And how do you know where you started? What if you don't remember? What happens? Well, what happens is you just look at the map that stays constantly on top of the screen ah. and just navigate your way through there. And then when you get to the room where you started from, you have to shoot away the exit door and then fly out of it. And when you do that, you move on to a new mission. So there you go. There is the gameplay of Cosmic Chasm. And uh, to give you an idea of how you do this, those of you who haven't seen this, which I have a feeling is most of you because this is not a common game. The control panel is ambidextrous. In the middle of it, you have a metal rotary controller, and you have a top row of buttons and a bottom row of buttons. The top inner buttons are your thrust buttons. The top outer buttons are your fire buttons, and the buttons on the bottom row activate your shield. And by the way, as far as I could tell, there is no limit to how frequently you can use your shield. It's not like, say, Asteroids Deluxe, in which the shield goes away if you use it too much. I also want to point out a few observations and other miscellany that I uh, thought about here. Okay. This game, Cosmic Chasm, at least the arcade version, strongly resembles Reactor. It looks like, Re especially when you get to the central core. If you were to Google a screenshot of the central core screen of the arcade Cosmic Chasm, you would swear you were looking at a screenshot of Reactor. It's pretty... Fr and especially because the cores in each of the rooms, the cores expand, which is 
what kind of happens in reactor as well. And you have the little cannons flying around. Speaking of cannons, your own ship, the cannons on your own ship, it is a challenge to really get your firing technique down because your shoots from those two cannons and they're on the sides of your ship. So you don't want to aim the nose of your ship in the direction where you want to shoot because you're going to miss. You kind of have to balance that out, figure out how you're going to aim the cannon rather than your ship. Mm-hmm. So it's it takes a little bit of getting used to. And the thing is, because of the way the ship is designed, when you first start playing Cosmic Chasm, it's a little bit tricky. If you're if you're a newbie to this game, it is tricky to figure out how your ship actually flies. Because you might think, oh, okay, it's those two retro things on the back and the one pointy end. I'm going to move in the direction of the pointy end. No, you move in the direction of those two things that you think are the retro rockets or whatever. It's that you actually move in the direction that your cannons are facing. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind if you never played this and you want to try it out. Noted. And there's one fun fact that I learned about Cosmic Chasm, the arcade version. It uses the same cabinet as Dragon's Lair. Which makes yes, sense. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. It has the same design. I mean, it doesn't have the same artwork and everything, but the uh, design, the actual physical design of the cabinet, it is the same as Dragon's Lair. Now, remember that I mentioned that Cinematronics licensed this game from GCE. That's usually the other way around. GCE is the maker of Vectrex, and a lot of Vectrex original run games are Cinematronics vector classics, and they're good ones, too. This time they went the other way around. Cinematronics took a home game and brought it to the arcade. Cosmic Chasm started out on the Vectrex, and I want to go over some of the ways, if not all the ways, that the two versions are different. In the Vectrex version of Cosmic Chasm, to get through a gate, you actually have to activate a drill that's at the tip of your ship. It's really tricky to figure that out, but what you have to do is... Uh, The way I do it, at least, is move your ship as close to the uh, gate as you can. Then hold down, I think it's button number one that activates the drill. Mm -hmm. And just hold that button down and then thrust toward the gate. And that'll do it for you. Also, the map on the Vectrex version, it only appears at the very beginning of the game and when you're traveling between rooms. It's kind of like a cut scene, basically. If you're actually in the middle of gameplay, you're not going to see that map. Now, remember I said that when you're going to the center core to destroy it, in the arcade version, you got to keep repeatedly shooting it till it disappears. In the Vectrex version, you do not actually shoot the central core. Instead, you leave a bomb, and then you have to exit the space station before the bomb goes off. Hmm. Oh, this isn't in my notes. I just happened to remember it off the top of my head. The Vectrex version has a little bit of a rapid fire. If you hold down the uh, number four button, it'll Mm -hmm. shoot like two rounds almost at a time. If you just hold down the button, you do not have that option on the arcade button. It only fires when you actually hit the button itself. I noticed that. Yes. Yes. And if you're playing the Vectrex version, by the way, it seems to it's a lot more effective just to repeatedly smash that four button rather than just hold it down. It's, you'll get a lot more shots that way. Um, also, in the arcade version, the missions are named after Greek letters from, in alphabetical order, starting with Alpha, ending with, I'm assuming, ending with Omega. Uh, I never got past Alpha, and none of the YouTube videos I watched got terribly far. I saw one go up to Eta, but that's how they're numbered on the, well, not really numbered, lettered 
on the Vectrex version, they're just numbered. You get mission one, mission two, etc. So there you have it. Other than that, yeah, that's uh, Cosmic Chasm. Uh, home versions, as far as I can tell, just the Vectrex version. Now, I haven't run into any any others myself. Yeah. In fact, this is likely the very first home video game to be converted to an arcade game. Uh, I think you might be right. Might be right. Is yeah. If it's not the well, first, well, it's I among should, the first. I think that should be rephrased. Well, no, 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 because the things I'm thinking of are the other direction. Never oh. mind. Carry on. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Cosmic Chasm. Uh, I, it might be worth mentioning that it, I don't know if this is on Android, but it's on iPhone. Uh, there is an app called uh, Vectrex Regeneration, and Cosmic uh-huh. Chasm is among the games you can play uh, oh, on neat. an iOS device. So, there you have it. And that's all I have to say about Cosmic Chasm. How about you there, Jimmy G? Thoughts? This is a very beautiful looking game. Uh, there's a lot going on, what with the map at the top of the screen and the action going on. The nature of the game, it kind of has a bit of a reactor feel to it yep. in a way. And um, it's uh, it's an all around decent looking game. I just wish I would would have played it more. I think the only place I've ever played it was at uh, Galloping Ghost. I don't recall ever seeing it anywhere else. Okay, I did see it there. Because the thing is, I, I think I, th- I did. I thought I saw it there, and I remember thinking, oh, there's Cosmic Chasm. But if you go to Orcade.com, it ain't listed there. Huh. So I don't know if they might have had it before and don't have it now, but maybe I was I thinking something sworn else. I saw it there. Maybe I saw it somewhere else. I know I've seen it at least once, but I haven't played it very much. Yeah, because right now, Orcade is only, that's a A-U-R-C-A-D-E, by the way. It's only listing the International Center for the History of Electronic Games in Rochester, New York, is having it. I know I've seen this somewhere. I, Yeah, the the name sounds familiar. It was either Galloping Ghost where I saw it, or maybe somebody played it on Starcade. I'm pretty sure I've seen it on Starcade. I want to think I've played it in the arcade once. I know I've definitely played it on the Vectrex and in emulation. But uh, Oh, yeah, this, yeah. Because of the dial thing, this is another game that's a little difficult to uh, get to emulate correctly sure yeah oh you know what it actually I should works have, uh, I, f- I thought it works okay in mame on a keyboard believe it or not really yeah well then again I it's still insanely hard but yeah not an easy game but it's uh it's fun it's, it's good for a few spins yeah the first time i ever played any version of cosmic chasm was when i was doing extra life a few years ago uh-huh and i just decided to try because i'd heard of it i had no idea what i was doing but whatever I was doing, I was doing it right because I did pretty well. I made it through a couple uh-huh. of missions. It's did one of those. Did you play it on your Vectrex? Yeah, yeah. It's oh. on the it's on the multi cart. Yeah. Okay. So I played on the Vectrex and I was doing pretty well. And I think it's one of those games in which I do well until I learn what I'm actually supposed to do. Then I can't <laughs> play where the crap because man, I cannot complete a mission either in the arcade game or in the Vectrex game. Rally X was like that, too. I did really well the first time I played Rally X, and then after uh-huh. I actually read the instructions and saw what I was supposed to do, yeah, I couldn't clear I, I could maybe clear the first round, and that was it. I can't say as I've ever had that experience. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I've I've not yet played the actual arcade version, other, unless mm-hmm. you count emulation. But Vectrex version, yeah, definitely. There you go. If you were to rate Cosmic Chasm... On our Pie Factory podcast scale of one to five inclusive continues. How would you rate it? Actually, I'd rate this a four. Really? Okay. Because yeah. uh, you like how it looks? 
I like how it looks, and I, I like the, the gameplay. I'm, I'm more basing the gameplay on the Vectrex version, but um, I do like the gameplay, and uh, it's uh, it's uh, one of the more unique games in the arcade. Um, and by the way, according to Orcade, this is the last uh, color, or last Vector game that Cinematronics uh, released. As I mentioned. You did mention that? Yep. Oh, I must have been uh, doing something else. Please don't tell us what you were doing, please. Terrible things to my dog with oh, a fork. Oh, good grief. No, I don't have a dog or a fork. <laughs> Christmas present idea. Get Jim a fork. Yay. So, yeah, I like this. I have to agree with your assessment on the graphics and the gameplay. It is great gameplay. The graphic color vector graphics are pretty cool. Let's, oh, God. Let, Col- there's nothing else in the arcade like color vector graphics. Yeah, like Tempest, Space Duel. Man, those. They, they pop. Yes. The, the games pop. Star Trek, um, great, mm-hmm. great color. Star Wars, Star Wars is Tech color. Scan. Right? Yeah, Star Wars. Tech, Tech scan. scan. Yeah, color Tech vector. That, those are those are f- fun to look at. Mm-hmm. And what I also love is that even though it's the same game as what's on the Vectrex system, if you can play one, you can play the other. There are enough changes to make it a unique experience that makes mm-hmm. it worthwhile. Say, if I were to travel back in time to a token-based or coin-based arcade, it gives me Mm -hmm. enough reason to pop a token or quarter or whatever into the slot, even if I have the Vectrex version at home. Mm -hmm. But having said that, I'm going to rate this a three. Okay. And the reason being is that, at least for me, Cosmic Chasm is hard AF. It is a difficult game. I mean, man, it's... I, maybe I could have tweaked some settings in MAME, but I don't know. But still, I, I make it a little bit less of a hard game, and I could easily see myself giving this a four out of five. You know what? I just realized I could have used my vision adapter on my uh, PC and my uh, Coleco uh, Super Action controllers, because the Super Action controllers have a little uh, spinner dial on it. Oh. I never thought about that. Oh, interesting. So I might have to, give that a, might have to try that out. Yeah, and by the way, I mentioned how Orcade.com lists only one location that has Cosmic mm-hmm. Chasm, but they don't have any scores listed at all. Hmm. Interesting. We'll have to go to International, International Arcade, Center for the History of Electronic Games. Which is, where is that? Rochester, New York. Oh, yes, they're affiliated with the National Toy Museum. Yeah, okay, but uh, Twin Galaxies does show that Dwayne Richard scored 124,500 on December 1st, 2005, or at least it was submitted that day. I don't know when he actually performed that game, but there you go. But Cosmic Cat, I really do hope to play an actual arcade machine sometime, because maybe using a rotary controller might help improve things a little bit, and mm-hmm. you know, rather than using a laptop keyboard like I did. Yeah. <laughs> But yep. this is, I do like the game, and I, I will absolutely spend quality time with it if I ever happen upon it in my travels. So. So. I guess, is it time to move on? Actually, before we talk about the next game, we have a message from our underwriter. Oh, We're Dayton, a vital, growing city, rich in the tradition that makes America strong. Blessed with natural and human resources that remind us of our heritage and give us strong hope for the future. A modern city, bounded by rivers and nestled in the fertile Miami Valley. Yes, we can all take pride in Dayton. Taking pride in Dayton, a special place to be. Building for tomorrow, making history. Growing up together, stronger every 
yes, thank you, uh, City of Dayton, for uh, underwriting this episode. Uh, uh, Jimmy G, uh, I meant to ask you before, how yes. do the Florizel Corps still gather in Dayton every year? Uh, I thought they stopped doing that because of the accommodations. I Okay, so things have not improved then. I really don't know where they're, they gather now. Last I heard, it was uh, Nuke Greenland. I don't know how you print N-U-U-K. And um, so uh, I, I've heard that's probably where they're going now. So Wow. But, uh, okay. Yeah. But I guess they like it there. So, you know, more power to them. Yeah, could be. Well, all right. So, again, thank you, uh, Dayton. And um, so let's talk about another game. Let's do that. So uh, shall we go with... Uh, to Rambo Pepper 2. <laughs> Pepper 2 Aftershocks. Yes, it is Pepper 2, and I am going to open, widen the window that my notes are on a little bit to make them a little easier to read. Hold on to your seats. I'm going to hit the full screen icon. Uh-oh. Ah! Oh, wow. That was... Wow. Oh, gosh. I, I need a cigarette. Okay, so <laughs> Pepper 2 is a 1982 game from Exidy. Uh, your controls, basically it's just a, you know, four-way joystick. You don't need any of those fancy intermediate directions and you don't <laughs> need any fancy button other than the start button. You just, you and a four-way joystick. It's me and a four-way. It's okay if it's in a four-way. So, um, first of all, uh, let's dive right into the issue with the title. The title, Pepper 2, there was no Pepper 1. The 2 is in reference to the dual side of your character. In the game, you play a little angel, Aww. and you're uh, zipping up these zippers in this maze, and you have to go around and enclose uh, boxes. And different boxes have different point values. The larger, the bigger the point value, obviously. And there are four boxes in the corner that have a little pitchfork in them. And if you surround them, your character turns into a devil. And the devil can eat the enemies in the maze for about four seconds. There are two different enemies in the game. The main enemy you can eat are just, they're just basically eyes. Uh, there is a secondary enemy in the game. It's called the Whippersnapper, or as it says in the ColecoVision, the Zipper Ripper. <laughs> that sounds like some bizarre grindhouse horror film. And uh, what the Zipper Ripper does, if there is a part of the screen where you have a uh, that you have zipped up, but it hasn't completed a box, it will just undo any of your work. Oh yeah, if you uh, zip something up and then you go back down the same path, it will unzip it as well. Okay, that explains a few things. There is also in the maze, there will be like a box that has like a, a bonus icon in it. And if you go around that, you just get some bonus points. And the very middle of the box has an icon that alternates between a pitchfork and a halo symbol. If you go ahead and close that one, it acts almost exactly like the other pitchforks, with the exception that in this one, it actually makes the uh, zipper ripper, <laughs> I love saying that, uh, disappear from the maze. Now, what happens uh, should you complete a maze? Well, I'm glad you asked, because it doesn't end the level. There are four mazes in each level, and each maze has an entrance on the side, on the up, down, left, right. And there will be a number that will take you to another maze. And with the other maze, you have to do the same thing. Fill all of the boxes in. And once you have all four boxes filled in, then the level is over. Now, you can keep track of which mazes that you have completed, because in the lower right-hand corner of the screen, you'll have a box. Uh, you'll have four boxes, each labeled one, two, three, and four. And if the box is filled in, that maze is completed. 
You get a bonus at 40,000 points, 50,000 points, 70,000 points, or 90,000 points. At the end of each level, you also get uh, you'll get a bunch of bonus points too, some pretty good points there. Of course, the title song is the theme from Alfred Hitchcock Presents, which is, I'm certain it's fully licensed. It's absolutely Of course. Because you know, early video game companies were very, you know, they were always looking to make sure everything was legal and on the up and up. That, that there was nothing illegal about the games. They were always about that. Yeah, by the way, I think that the actual title is Funeral March for a Marionette. Okay. And then when a level is complete... A funeral march of a marionette, pardon me. Okay. And then at the end of a level, it plays, again, the most assuredly legally licensed zippity Duda From the Disney classic film, uh, Song of the South. Well, the thing is, Funeral March of a Marionette would have been public domain by then, so... Okay, if that is indeed the song. That's something that somebody should look into, not me. So, uh... That is, that's really the basics of the of the game. Kind of plays similar to the paint roller screen of Amadar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, have we talked about Amadar? I don't think we have. I should put that on the list. So, uh, there was only one home port of this game, and it was on the ColecoVision. It was announced for the Atari 2600, but never released, and as far as I'm aware, a prototype has never surfaced. Now, one thing I did notice when playing this game is that if you're constantly moving the joystick, you're going to get into a lot of control problems because it does the it has a, a similar control setup as to like Pac-Man where you push the joystick in one direction and your character will keep moving. In Pac-Man's case, you stop when you hit a wall. Uh, in this game, you stop when you hit an intersection. So yeah, you kind of want a light touch on the uh, on the joystick or you'll find yourself in some big, big trouble in this game. Hmm. I haven't detected any sort of patterns or anything in the game. Yeah, I, I didn't. Of course, you know, we've only been playing this since we mentioned we were going to play it. So. Well, I've played this quite a bit uh, on the ColecoVision. I don't think I yeah. ever owned it, but uh, <clears throat> I think I talked once about how I had a cartridge copy program on the Atom. Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll just leave it at that. But uh, I have played it on the uh, the ColecoVision Phoenix, and... Uh, we're way past the statute of limitations anyway, but... That's true. If you ever would have done something... Underhanded. Exidy, didn't Exidy release a lot of their games into the public domain, or was that a different company? I'm thinking oh, of? I know whom you're talking. I know about whom you're talking, but I don't know for sure. I don't remember. But uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's really the game in a nutshell. It's uh, not that difficult. You just need a, a light touch on the, on the joystick, as I said, and uh, it could get uh, pretty difficult pretty quick because, like I said, I can't detect a pattern. It just seems like the Eyes kind of move randomly, so yeah. you can easily get uh, trapped in different areas of the maze. So, so what do you think? What do you got to say, Sean? What have I got to say? Well, first of all, one of the reasons that we are talking about Pepper Two is because I had never, ever, ever played it. I'd always heard of it, and I wanted an excuse that would force me to actually give it a shot. And the reason being, I'd been curious about this game since 1983 uh-huh. when I saw that infamous joystick magazine from September of 83, at least dated September of 83, that I've mentioned many times in this podcast. And what sticks out to me about seeing that magazine talk about Pepper 2 was the picture that was included and the little write-up about it. It was not a screen cap or a mock-up of the gameplay or anything. It was just a drawing of some guy's head from the top down to the nose. And that was it. Mm Mm-hmm. To represent Pepper 2. 
that's all it's like man i gotta find out what this game's all about i'm pretty sure i saw it at galloping ghost but never played it there and i never actually happened upon the game in my travels back in the golden age of video games as it were in the early 80s so that's what it was and when i played the game finally for preparation for this podcast i was pleased with it of course, because it has a little bit of a Pac-Man formula, it kind of spoke mm. to me because I'm a Pac-Man fan. And yeah, I definitely thought, okay, this is Amidar. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to say right now, it's essentially Amidar, because apparently that's the correct pronunciation. That's how I hear everybody else say it. But yeah, I, I like the game. I like the gameplay. It's one of these games in which you keep dying over and over again, but you want to give yourself mm-hmm. another chance. Okay, I can do better this time. I can do better this time. So those kind of games, they hook me in, and I really, really enjoy them. I, I do. I like the idea that you have to complete four mazes to get yes, to the next level. which I've and not been able to do. And all the mazes are interconnected. Yeah, I have not been able to finish four mazes. I think maybe I got three, but at least in the past few weeks we've been playing these games, I have not been able to finish all four. I have to say, one thing I like about the ColecoVision edition of this uh, of the part of this game, any game on the ColecoVision... When you lose a life, the screen goes black, and it says, get ready, player, whatever. And after it says, get ready, player, whatever, it'll just go flash right back to to the game screen, and you start from there. On this game on the ColecoVision, it'll say, get ready, player, whatever, and then the uh, that those words will scroll like up, down, left, or right, depending on where, uh, where what entrance of the maze uh, it, it puts you in when, when the game continues. And I thought that was kind of a really neat little hmm. touch on the yeah. ColecoVision edition. I found the uh, uh, a promotional flyer for the game online, and oh. uh, <clears throat> I'm going to try to read this as best as I can. Uh-oh. It's got like a little recipe card, and it says, Recipe for hot profits from Exidy's Kitchen. One, combine males and females of all ages in a room. Uh, okay. Two, add pepper to, caution, the more the spice, the hotter the profit. Three, let's sit for one week. Ingredients will mix on their own. Four, Open oven and pull out a coin box of sizzling profits. I like that. And um, I love this little bit in the uh, in the special features portion of the flyer. Special features. Full audio system surrounds the player with catchy tunes and special sound effects. Durable, reliable new joystick. Tested industry standard joystick especially designed for the tense excitement Pepper 2 builds in players. And, oh, today's high score table. Lots of five high scores to post our initials next to the screen. I did like this. Uh, I thought this was interesting in the uh, in the dip switches. You can mm-hmm. actually strip the music down, uh, turn you know, basically turn oh, really? the volume down in the nice. in the dip switches uh, for locations that want a quieter machine. Hmm. I would imagine, say, like restaurants or something like that. So, oh, okay. So uh, okay, yeah. I thought you meant the music and as opposed to the whole sound overall. Well, it says here uh, f- for quieter locations where fewer sound effects are desired. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So I uh, I thought that interesting. And I saw on the dip switches too. It's got a thing for you can get seven credits for two tokens. Mm, yeah, a lot of games have that feature. That's I don't understand a lot of those settings in some of these machines. It's like one play, one credit. Okay, fine. One play yeah. for two credits. Later on in <sighs> the arcade history, that's a little more. It's kind of understandable. Don't like it, but yeah. You know. But then they go like nine billion games for half a credit or some something like that, and it's like, why would you do that? You might as well put it on free play at that point. Yeah. 
I don't think I've ever encountered that in my travels where the arcade owner was that generous. No, I never have. Never have. At least in a coin-based, token-based arcade, that is, as opposed to a free-play arcade. Yeah. Like I said, at that point, just slap it into free-play. That's all. Yeah, right. Oh, man. Yeah, you mentioned the high-score table, and I totally forgot to comment about this in the uh, Cosmic Chasm. Oh, that high-score table kills me all the time because I can never... the way the high score table in Cosmic Chasm works is you rotate uh-huh. your ship in the middle of the screen. It's kind of like how Food Fight works and, and the uh-huh. Food Fight uh, high score table where you, yes. Have to yes, yes, shoot, yes, yes, yes. you have to shoot at the letters. And if you're ever so slightly off, you're going to put the wrong damn initials in there. Oh, and I got to say, I noticed in the Pepper 2 high score table, uh, it's got some uh, interesting names in there. And I forgot to uh, actually uh, write them down. So now I'm loading the game in MAME as we speak. Uh, this game takes a little bit of time to load up. Yeah. Cosmic Chasm takes a while, too, to get the play started. Vectrex version, too, actually. Really? Yeah. So come on, just start the game already, man. Okay. <clears throat> the first score is LWH, Pepper 2, JDE, You Devil You, MRK, You're an Angel, Hi, HAI, Whippersnapper, and of course the screen scrolled away before I could read the fifth one. <laughs> so they got little the rankings uh, in addition to your initials. So that's yeah. pretty neat. That's nifty. I have to say, this game does look a lot like a, an 8-bit computer game from the era. Yeah. This would be right at home, say, on a Commodore 64 or oh, an yeah. Atari 8-bit. Or... Yep. Even a Texas Instruments. Well, that's a 16-bit, I think, isn't it? The, the TI is a 16-bit. Yeah. But, uh, oh, yeah. <clears throat> Last one. AKG, the nurse ranking was Evil Eye. Yeah. So... <laughs> Zip around air, areas for points, retracing retra- your path on zips, enclose pitchfork to attack, always run from the zipper ripper, exits go to other mazes, bonus for complete maze, bonus, super bonus for all four mazes. So I think this is the first time we've actually read the attract mode. Maybe not. I don't know. It's not the first time like attract mode has ever been read in this podcast, but it might be the first time that both of us read the attract mode. Yeah, you might be right. So... I've been slacking off in my statistician duties. Hey, 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 hey. Slacking. Oh, oh, okay. All right. So uh, that is Pepper 2. Fun little game. I enjoy it. It is. I liked it too. In fact, I'm going to say that this one this one scores a four for me. Four out of five continues. And I'm giving it a four as well. This nice. one I have obviously more experience with than Cosmic Chasm. I think most people do. But uh, do we have scores? Uh, yeah, we do this time. Uh, Twin Galaxies shows Craig Anstett. Uh, having their high score submitted September 5th, 2017, and that score is 1,172,200. Orcade.com, again, that's spelled A-U-R-C-A-D-E.com. Uh, I don't know how this uh, person's name is pronounced. I'm just going to approximate it. Matt Haraski, he scored 1,004,300 points on December 29th, 2016. Interestingly, Twin Galaxies has him at number two, with uh, 944,230, which he scored uh, a little bit later, August 22nd, 2017. So, yeah, that's uh, what, I, what I have about, um, I suddenly, for Pepper 2. Yes, Pepper 2. But yeah, I, I highly enjoy Pepper 2. Uh, I, what would be interesting is see if uh, some enterprising homebrew developer could come up with Pepper. Hmm. It's kind of like how many years ago somebody came up with the logic that, well, if there's a Yar's Revenge, Yar had to get revenge from something. So I think there was an, they made a game called like Yar's Attacks or something. <laughs> so yeah, we, this is just screaming for Pepper. It, it definitely just, is. just for the title, if not really the gameplay. 
if they're going to do pepper, I think it would probably be just a single maze. Oh, oh. Or maybe two. Maybe two. Interesting. Let's keep it as a multiple, you know, multiples of two. Yeah. I think the only thing I could think of is just one maze per thing. I think the game is plenty difficult enough without four mazes. Yeah. <laughs> so, but fun game it is. Fun game. Absolutely. It is. Absolutely. I hope to actually play it in the actual arcade someday. Yeah. Did you say that the ghost had it? Yeah, yeah, they have it. In fact, I okay. think the uh, Orcade high score was achieved uh-huh. at the ghost, I think. Okay. But yeah, they definitely have it. Next time I'm there, awesome. I'll have to give it a shot. And of yes. course, next time I'm there, either I'm going to forget or it'll be out of order. <laughs> yeah. Because that's what usually happens. If I go there specifically to play a game, it'll be either out of order or in a separate building because there's a tournament going on that's mm-hmm. using it, or... I'll just plain forget. <laughs> I want to play that Sega 360 machine they have there sometime. Uh, I don't know if I'm too fat to... I too big to fit into it, let's just say. I don't know. I think I've seen that thing once, but yeah. Yeah, they but, only turn it on for special events because of uh, its power issues. We have finished the two games we were going to talk about for today. Yes, we do. Did, didn't we? Yeah. What should we do? Should we uh, talk about the theme? That we yeah, let's reveal with? the theme. I might want to put a little modification to it, but first okay. explain the theme. Yes. These are games whose ports to or from their home consoles are sometimes considered as killer apps for their systems. Pepper 2 is sometimes considered a killer app for the ColecoVision, and Cosmic Chasm is sometimes considered a killer app for the Vectrex. Man, yeah, after we decided on that, I went to, I think it's uh, Vectrex Players Unite, I think that's what uh-huh. it's called on Facebook. Yeah. And said, what do you think the killer app for Vectrex is? I don't think anybody said Cosmic Chasm. Really? I always thought it was. Me too. Which is why I want to modify this a little bit and say that these are video games in which their home versions probably have the edge in popularity over their arcade equivalents. Yeah, yeah, I can say that. I don't think we've done that. So somewhere before. somewhere in between those two things. That's the truth that's, lies. That's where the truth lies. Somewhere between famous, famous potatoes. Famous potatoes and live free or die. Yes. Yes. So there we go. Probably it's a little closer to, to famous, famous potatoes. potatoes. So all right, I think with that we are almost done. We do have to yeah. thank some people though, don't we? Oh, you mean uh people such as uh Timmy Mack, PJ Steele, Kurt Musgrave, the fine folks at Underground Retrocade, Mike Hat and Jay, Airshack, Keith Sheehan, Daniel Chavez, Rory Coleman, Art Guglielmo, the fine folks at the Super NES podcast and the Retro Game Club podcast, the fine folks at Mark Super. Oh, never mind. Uh, he is the fine folks at Mark Super. Uh, Kyle Etter, Richard Grounds. The fine folks at Atari Bytes, Lance Endries, Nate Lockhart, Christian Williams, New Balance Stores Phoenix, D. Alex, Richard Valdez, and our newest supporter, Kevin Bean. Thank you so much, Kevin. Welcome. Yes. So there we go. Thank you, good, kind folk. So what are we talking about next episode? Uh, we're going to probably talk about 90 minutes. Okay, uh, cool. But failing that, uh, how about... Uh, we talk about bad dudes bad dudes bad dudes versus dragon ninja <clears throat> bad dudes is a pac-man knockoff right why yes okay yes, cool it, yeah sure let's go with that okay sounds good and the other game is zero wing oh my yes so we will talk about those next episode and uh, hopefully we'll have that out before quithmouth but we'll see about that yeah and uh how likely do you think this episode will be out in time for american thanksgiving 
What's the over under on that? I'll give it a fifty percent. You give it fifty percent. Okay, fifty percent chance. Yeah, right. I'll, I'll 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 agree with that. At any rate, so I think with that we will uh, close the door on another episode of the Pipe Factory Podcast. I haven't used that <laughs> phrase in quite some time. Oh, and uh, I was just listening to some back episodes the other day, and uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was too. So I just thought I'd bring that up because I do listen to back episodes every now and then, mm. and I don't remember. What was on. Oh yeah, uh, I was listening to when we had. Uh, Andy Ryerson on the show for oh, uh, man. Mappy and what was it WrestleFest? WWF WrestleFest, yes. yes. And uh, we really need to try to get Tim and Andy back on the show. They're great. I like I love those guys a lot. Good luck getting them to have coinciding schedules these days, though. Yeah, man. that uh, that is true. I would like to get them back on. They're they're great. They're good folks. I just wish yeah. I would have met up with uh, Tim when I was out in Minneapolis earlier in the year, but he got and sick. So what are you going to do? Yeah. So, so uh, this is uh, Sean from uh, Pie Factory Headquarters North in Chicago, the birth of an accidental hipster. And this is Jim in Maurice, Illinois. And with that, oh, that actually, they, they don't call me Maurice. Oh. So, the part your local arcade. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is the Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arada was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on PieFactoryPodcast.com. Support the show at Patreon.com slash PieFactoryPodcast. Pie Factory Podcast is a member of the Fab Four IT Podcast Network. What do people call you? They don't call me the Space Cowboy.